Dear fellow redeemed, we consider briefly our reading, especially from uh, Genesis 2, as well as a little bit of our gospel lesson today. And there in Genesis 2, on the sixth day of creation, we see God's masterpiece. God's masterpiece. And, and the way Moses writes Genesis, the way God inspired and gave Moses the words to write Genesis, very consistently what he does is he gives you the overview and then he zooms in on one little detail. He gives you the overview in chapter one of all of creation and then he zooms in on the detail that matters, day six. He gives you the overview of life in that sinful world after the fall into sin and then he zooms in on the family of Noah. He gave you the overview of Abraham and his brothers and then zooms in on Abraham's family and the same thing with Jacob. He gave you the overview of Jacob and Esau and then follows the family line of Jacob and so on and so forth. And so it's God's way and Moses' way of telling us that day six must be important. Day six must be important as God zooms in on the creation of man and woman. And here on day six, he creates his masterpiece. And you think to yourself, well, what exactly is the masterpiece? Maybe it's when, when God creates the first man out of the dust of the ground. God creates the first man and breathes into him the breath of life. That must be the masterpiece because there we see how God created man differently from the animals. That humans aren't simply the most highly developed ape, but something very different in kind. But that's not it. You might say, well, um, you know, the way it usually works in the design world or the manufacturing world is they, they build a prototype and then they make some adjustments and then they come out with the final product. So, well, Adam was made first. God needed a prototype and then he came out with his masterpiece. This masterpiece that would be named Eve. Kind of funny, perhaps. But God doesn't need prototypes. And that would be missing the point as well. Because the masterpiece that God created there in Genesis 2 is supposed to be a picture for the world of the love between God and his people. And the masterpiece there in, verse, in, in chapter 2 um, is a little bit later. In verse 22, the Lord God built, built a woman from the rib that he had taken from the man and... Then the Lord God brought her to the man. And there it is. That when God had created Eve, he didn't start over with another pile of dirt from the ground. He took something from Adam's side. And I think the way even one of, uh, one of the ancient church fathers put it, he didn't take something from Adam's foot like a heel bone as, as though she were to be under his foot. And he didn't take something from his head like a hair as though she would be over him but something from his side, his rib, as somebody to be alongside next to him. And if you read the whole, the whole chapter 2 in its entirety, you may have seen also that when God created man, God gave him all of the responsibilities of, of as we see today, naming the, the animals and eating from every tree except that one tree in the middle of the garden. But in this marvelous masterpiece, God didn't repeat that when Eve was created. 
God didn't repeat that when Eve was created because it was Adam's responsibility to communicate that to his wife. It was Adam's responsibility to say, well, look at this, this animal that God had me name. And look at all these trees that our Lord has given to us. And that beautiful tree over there, it probably wasn't you know, like the, some grotesque-looking tree from, from a fairy tale. That's what I was trying to do with my hands, I guess. You know, picture a tree that's very grotesque. I haven't seen Snow White in a while, but it's probably a tree kind of like that. It's not a grotesque-looking tree like some fairy tale. It was probably a beautiful tree. And they would walk past that tree in this beautifully perfect world that God had created, and they would say, that one is God's tree. And exactly as even the Apostle John would say later in the New Testament, this is love for God to obey his commands. As they obeyed, as they obeyed that command to not eat from the tree, that was their their worship. That was how they reflected love back to God for all that he had done for them. And so as they walked past that beautiful tree, Adam would, would talk with his wife and say, you know, God said not to eat from it. God said, don't reach out your hand as though to pluck fruit from it, which is exactly what Eve echoed to the serpent in chapter 3. And even there's a a little bit more, that this relationship between man and woman isn't limited to the marriage relationship. But generally speaking, this is kind of God's blueprint for people within his church, that God expects men to to take up the positions of leadership and to lay down their lives in service. And God has provided provided opportunities and helpers to assist in making that happen as a joyful thing, with no sense of being one being above or below the other, but remembering that when God created the first man and woman, that he took the rib from Adam's side. Because that's God's masterpiece, is that relationship between man and woman that it's seen perhaps most clearly in a Christian marriage, but it is also seen among the relationships that we have in our own lives and within our own church. It's also seen, and it's supposed to be seen, even in the relationships that take place in this world. Because all people are descended from Adam and Eve. And the blueprint that God designed for them is the blueprint that applies to each person. Even though life in a sinful world means that is clouded apart from Scripture. And so that's kind of the overview. And as we zoom in a little bit more, we see as God wants to help build the Christian home, the Christian household, whether it's you and kids and a spouse at home, or maybe it's just you by yourself, or anywhere in between. That God wants you to see where you fit in his blueprint. That God wants you to know that despite whatever emotion may have been in the back of your mind, and despite whatever difficulty you might face in this world, that God wants you to know that he has designed you for this specific purpose, to give him glory by taking up your responsibility to give him glory within, within a Christian marriage by saying, well, here's the one person whom the Lord has brought to me, and it's the person before whom I lay down my life in service to the other. 
And isn't that the heart of it? Isn't that the heart of it, that our hearts don't like that idea? And we see that reflected. We see that reflected in our gospel lesson today. Where Jesus had been, you know what, guys? Um, I need some time to teach you guys because I'm going to be, I'm going to be going, and uh, and we're going to be, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be crucified. And they didn't ask him. Verse thirty-two. They did not understand the statement, and they were afraid to ask him about it. And even when that most blessed of blessings was dropped in their laps and sank down into their, into their ears. What are they arguing about? They remained silent because on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and I get it. We shake our heads at these disciples that they should know better. And it's almost, like, it's almost like there is Jesus who is being as clear as possible, laying it out in vivid technicolor, saying that he's going to be crucified, that he's going to lay down his life. And they're arguing about who's going to be greatest. That here he is, demonstrating his love for them and his commitment to them. And their response, well, I don't get it, and I'd rather not talk about that. I want to talk about what I want and my needs. I want to talk about how the others ought to be serving me rather than my responsibility to them. Do you see the point of connection? That even in that relationship among the disciples within God's church, that the attitude that he wanted among all of them was an attitude of service toward the other an attitude that was so consumed with Christ's sacrifice for them that service for the other would be almost an afterthought because it was so simple. But instead, all that loomed in their sight and in their vision was what they thought they had accomplished, what they thought they needed, and what they thought the other person had to do for them. Don't you know that I'm the greatest? I stood with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, <laughs> I was there too, but I walked on water. And is it possible that that argument worms its way into God's masterpiece? Is it possible that that argument of who is the greatest worms its way into God's masterpiece? And I'm not even talking about marriage yet. I'm talking about... God's people within God's church. God's people within God's church saying to themselves, well, they'll take care of that. That's <laughs> not my responsibility. If they're not here, well, they should be here. And, um, and besides, besides, I got myself here and I had a whole, lot of, a whole lot of a difficult week and I have trouble getting up in the morning, but I made it. And if I could, then they ought to also. But as far as me laying down my life, setting aside the time to encourage? I'm the one who needs encouragement. Is it possible that that attitude of which one is the greatest might worm its way into God's church? In a couple of weeks, 
October 17th, we're not having worship here. <laughs> Surprise, it's in the announcements, I'll tell you at the end of the service. But on October 17th, that is the, the final Sunday for Zion Lutheran Church. Um, and they, they made the wonderful decision, the painful decision, the sacrificial decision to say that they didn't want to hang on to the absolute bitter end until every cent was spent, but that they wanted to commit their hearts and their lives to the ministry of the Lord here in the greater Toledo area. And even though they had enough money to keep the bills going and the lights on for, for a while yet, they said, what more could we do? What more could we do that we could put this to good use in the Lord's ministry here? And so they, they worked with the realtor to put their property up for sale, and, and the, the, the different portions of the property have all been accounted for and, and sold, and the papers, papers will be signed soon. And October 17th, we're all going to join at Zion Lutheran Church for a 10 o'clock worship service, the last service, the last Lutheran church service in that building. Because the masterpiece that God created on day six is about this relationship among the people in God's church. And that relationship among the people in God's church isn't simply some congregational construct that relationship among people in God's church, yes, plays it out in congregations. It also plays itself out in, in the marriage relationship, and it also even applies in the life of somebody who is, who is not married. It applies whether you're married to a Christian or to somebody who is not a Christian, whether you're, it, it's, you're married to somebody who is, um, who is very committed to the Lord or who kind of scoffs at the idea that the relationship God de designed and described in Genesis chapter 2 is that relationship that echoes the relationship of Jesus and you. Because that's the image, that's the picture that he ends up using. When God says, you know, how can I, how can I best describe my relationship with my people? When Jesus says, how can I best describe my love for my people? And he kind of he has some, some ideas. He's like, well, it's like a perfect city where God lives with his people. Okay, that's good. Well, it's got streets of gold. Okay. But that's not good enough. And he says, how else can I describe my relationship with my people? And he says, well, it's like the lion lying down with the lamb and the child playing near the cobra's nest. That perfect relationship of peace and tranquility. And God said, that's still not good enough. He said, how can I describe my relationship with my people? That the church of God, the new Jerusalem, came out of heaven, dressed like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. That the relationship of man and wife is described as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her washing her to make her holy and clean. That the relationship Jesus has with you is one that he wants to build into, into your own life, into your own household. Whoever's in that household and however that household is comprised, the relationship 
between man and woman, that relationship that is characterized by the attitude of Jesus laying down his life, our gospel reading, verse 31, that relationship is something that he wants to build into your life too. And the reason that we have to talk about it over the next couple of weeks is because over time, over time, you have to do a little bit of house cleaning, right? Over time, there are ideas or, or problems that kind of creep in and, and pop up. And maybe it, it even seems like one of those problems that the other family members can't address. Well, we'll talk about them with guidance from the Word of God. To say, to say not so much on how can I have the perfect life here and how can I have a life of ease here to make sure that everybody thinks that my life is perfect here, but rather, how can I live my life in such a way that Jesus laying down his life is seen in my attitude toward the others that I interact with? Beginning with those who are closest to me and, yes, spreading out from there, that attitude of Jesus laying down his life for me, even characterizing the relationship that we will have with our brothers and sisters in Christ coming over from Zion Lutheran Church a little bit later next month, that relationship that each of us has with Christ, that relationship with, Jesus, with which Jesus began for you at your holy baptism, and he continues in Holy Communion, that that relationship and that masterpiece of God is something that, that he wants to use to, to show his work in your life. It's not always easy to confront that. It's not always easy to say, you know what, here I am arguing about who's the greatest when Jesus is right there in front of me or behind me talking about laying down his life for the sins of the world. It's not always uncomfortable to see ourselves in the reflection of the disciples. But look at the promise and look at the blessing that Jesus gives. That he has brought us into fellowship together. And that he has brought us here and, and given you the specific relationships in your life, whether with parents or children or a spouse or other extended family. He's given you the relationships in your life, even within our congregation and among the congregations of our fellowship. He's given you these relationships so that, so that we see the other person even speaking up and saying, this is what I need. And so that we see the opportunity to address the parts of our heart that we like to forget about and like to pretend that aren't there. The part that says, but I'm the greatest. And with his word, Jesus comes along and says, you're not. But the one who is the greatest laid down his life for you to make you holy, cleansing you by the washing with water through the word, clothing you in his perfection. And the best way that he can describe his relationship with you is as though he were the groom and you were the bride. That beautiful relationship that is a very simple picture of God's masterpiece creation, that relationship of man and woman. And marriage, yes, perhaps it's seen most clearly there, 
but it applies in every avenue, in every area of our work together. That the masterpiece of God is basically saying, I see Jesus. I see my relationship with him that he has created with me. I see the opportunity to serve one another, and even if it means saying, you know what, I haven't been the greatest, but I know the one who is, and I want to do my best to conform my life to him so that you can see, you can see the love of your Savior in just a little bit different way that the masterpiece God created on day six of creation, that relationship between man and woman, is fulfilled. As Christians strive to treat each other as though Jesus were that one whom you were serving. It's no surprise. And it's not really as hard as it sounds. When we see Jesus saying, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him, and then he will rise, dear friends. Whatever thoughts you may have had about this discussion and whatever feelings you may have about the next few weeks as we talk about a couple different aspects of the Christian home, well, tuck them in your back pocket and bring them along to church. Or use our website, and um, raisedwithjesus.com, and there should be a form at the front page of our website to send questions in there. Because the world would love to tear this sort of relationship apart and to distort it in a way that, that would be in its own image rather than the image of God. And we don't want to miss out on the blessings that Jesus has promised here. Because... His masterpiece still works, and it still lives, and it's been restored in you because Jesus washed you and made you his own. Amen. Amen.